button. Um, we're in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 4. Right? This is the, the middle mark. There's six chapters, right? And so we've gone through three chapters. It took a while. I think it took us about two months. Um, and now we're about to hit the second half of, the, of, of Ephesians. And it's actually broken up. The book of Ephesians is broken up this way. The first three chapters is about what God is doing, what God has done. Talking about, you know, like all of the things that God has done for us, in us, through us, in Christ. Um, he talks about our adoption. He talks about all these different things about our identity, who we are in Christ. You know, like we're sons of God. We've been adopted even before the foundation of the world. Christ says that we were, we were chosen. And, and we had nothing to do with that. Had no, I, it's not because I raised my hand higher in class. I said these students where he thought that, have you ever seen, you guys are English teacher, there's that one, they know the answer, and so they go, ah! You stick their hand up really high in the air, and you think they're going to call you, right? Well, that doesn't help you in the kingdom of God, right? Just because you raise your hand really hard doesn't mean that you're chosen. You're chosen. We're, we're, we're like, we were chosen by God. God predestined us from the beginning of time, even before the beginning and the creation of the earth. The Bible says that we were predestined to be sons of God. So that was the first three chapters. Um, and then uh, Paul talks about this overall plan that God had. In, in, in verse chapter 1, verse 10, uniting and bringing everything under God. And, and the, the verse reads like this. It's chapter 1, verse 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So God had this plan even before, like, you know, we, you know, like, all of this happened. There was a plan that God had initiated, right? And that purpose of that plan was a mystery for many generations. But when Christ came, that mystery was revealed, right? And it was, it was, a, it was a purpose to, to unite all things on heaven and earth under Christ. To unite all things that are in heaven, the angels and, and all of the, you know, the, the amazing things that, that we will see in heaven and all of the things that are on this earth and uniting it under Christ. That was his ultimate purpose. And in, in, in chapter 3, we learned that that mystery and that will was ultimately to be the church. The church is the manifold wisdom of God. Is God planning to bring about unity of all things under Christ comes through the church. You know, last week, I talked about Paul. He prays for the church. And he says, I get down on my knees and I pray. And he's praying. Like 2,000 years ago, he was sitting in a prison cell. And he's praying, and he's praying for this church. He, he said, this church, like, he's like, don't feel bad about me that I'm sitting in prison, like, suffering, being persecuted, right? Because I know that, like, what I'm doing is going to give birth to this church, right? This, this body of Christ, this manifold wisdom. But don't worry about me, right? Because this is all for your glory. This is all for the glory of the church. And he's praying in, into the future. And he probably thought... The church that he's praying for, like, he probably never imagined that it would be this far into the future, right, with airplanes and cars. And he probably thought it was like maybe like a couple of years after his death, Jesus would come back. A lot of the early believers believed that. They believed that Jesus was going to come back in, in their lifetime, right? But he's praying into the future, and he prays that we will be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And he prays for strength because to be the church that God has called us to be, right? The actual church, the type of church that Jesus died on the cross for, the type of church that Paul is describing here, is going to require strength. You, like, you, you, you don't need strength to like go to a church nominally. Nominally, it's just like on the surface level. It doesn't take much to just come to church right, and, and just listen to a sermon and go home and not affect Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday of your life. But it takes a lot for faith that you live to actually impact the world around you. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a faith in a church, individuals that make up this body of Christ that live a life that's going to impact the world around them. And, and, and he prays for strength there. Because we're going to need that strength. And we talked about that. We talked about strength last week. Because we, we definitely will need it. Going into the end times, right? As we get closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to need strength. The world is changing, guys. Have, do you, have you noticed how fast the world is changing around us? Right? Even, like, even like when I was young, it was, it was like, like, like the whole like, gay and lesbian issue was like nothing. Right? It was all like hidden hush. And now it's like everywhere. 
every there's so many things like that are happening in the in the mindset of the world that's so different from what what it's what's spoken of in the Bible and what what Jesus calls for the church to stand up. Like things are moving at such a fast rate. Like kids that are like 13 and 14 are just like doing whatever they want. You know, like you see it in the movies and it's reflected in the movies because that's what's happening in the world. And for us to really commit to, to, to follow God's word and live by God's word and to gather people under Christ, under God's word, it's going to require strength. That was my sermon last week. Uh, if you guys need strength, I, I want to encourage you guys to listen to it. It's on the podcast. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I think I think it was I was pretty funny in my last sermon. So if you want to laugh a little bit, um, you can listen to that sermon. Now, um, God wants to gather and unite everyone and everything under Christ. Talk about it in chapter 110. And His means of doing this is the church. But gathering people under Christ is central to the purpose of the church. That's the family business that we have been brought into. And we are saved by grace, right? right? And God says, you were predestined. I adopt you, right? I adopt you. God adopts you as a son. You come into his family. The family business. Who has a family? Anybody have a family business? Most of my, like my family business growing up was a dry cleaner. Right? So I would like hang out at my, my family's dry cleaners and I would always I don't want to sit here, you know, and like, we'd have to like take tickets and look for clothes, right? This is a family business. Some of them are like, like owning like restaurants is a family business. I have a friend that, that you know, her, her, her whole family was, was like dedicated into running this one business. They became millionaires, right? In LA, they have like two Korean restaurants. And they, they're like millionaires. That's a family business. Well, the family business of God is reconciling people back to God and gathering people under Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. Family business for the church and for individuals and as a whole is to gather people under Christ, to worship Him, to glorify His name. And so, you know, it, it's the was one of the main purposes of the church. Now, Paul in chapter four, we're gonna we read that today, goes on to a new trajectory of this of this letter. He goes from talking about all of the things that we are in Christ. You know, blessed, adopted, strengthened, all these things. And now he goes to how we should live knowing that identity. So he's like, he's like this is you. This is what you have become. Now, now this is how you're supposed to live. And so we have the beginning of chapter 4. Margaret read it earlier. And it, and it says, I, therefore a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. <clears throat> worthy of the calling that, that, that we have been called. Because you are this now, because that you have you have come in under, you are a new creation. The Bible says that you new creation, old has gone and the new has passed. This new person that you are, right? You have, now you have to live accordingly to this new identity that you have, who you are in Christ. This is because of all of this, urges us to live in a manner worthy of it. Because what have you become? Imagine if one of you guys married. Like one of the princes of England. Who's that girl? Like something like Mary, what was her name? Meghan Markle, right? She's just a, like a, a pop star or whatever. Right? And she, she married, I don't know what she was, right? I, I'm not into this, right? I'm sorry. But she married like one of the princes of England, right? Imagine if you like marry like, like a prince of, one of the prince of like a kingdom like, right, of England, right? You can't just like wear a t-shirt. In shorts, you know, like smoking menthol cigarettes in front of Buckingham Palace, right? You can't just like kimchi squat in front of like Buckingham Palace, like, you know, like, like spinning on the ground and just like smoking cigarettes and like, you know, like chewing gum. You can't act like that, right? You gotta dress the part, right? You gotta act, you gotta have manners, right? If you're a woman, you gotta wear those hats with the little birds and like, you gotta curtsy, right? You gotta like carry yourself with like, like you gotta be aristocratic, you gotta like, you know, you gotta, you gotta like act, act proper, act right. Right? You can't, you, like, if I became, I can't just be playing PS4 all day, you know, like, just like, you know, eating Cheetos in my underwear in Buckingham Palace. That's not going to kid. that's not, that's not going to cut it, right? You have to be, when you, when you become royalty in England, you have to act the part. You have to, you have to play the part. And in and, and, and Revelations 1, verse 6, it says that we are a kingdom of priests. Apostle Peter says in his, 
in his writing, he says that we are a royal priesthood. And Paul here is telling us to live in a manner worthy of the identity that we have been called. We are sons of God, adopted into the family of God, and given the family business of reconciling people back to God. And he's saying, walk accordingly, walk right. He's saying, live accordingly, live right, act right. And then Paul describes in detail how we are to be, how we are to conduct ourselves. I believe he's describing the marks of a church, marks of, of the church, of, the, of the, the church that he's describing here. What should we be marked by? How are we supposed to be as the body of Christ? This is a very important passage, I believe, especially for our church, because our church in New Philly, we've been going through, we've been going through a lot of shaking. We've been going through a lot of ups and downs, and, and we don't really know our identity yet. We don't really know it, but right now we're in the process of rebuilding and moving forward, right? That's our church right now. I think it's very important for our church, for us to, as we rebuild and move forward, what are the marks of the church that Paul is, is describing here? What are we supposed to be marked by? It's very important for our church. In this passage, Paul is bringing us back to the fundamentals of the church. As in how we are to be, what characteristics are we to display, how we should be. And I talked earlier, but one of the key roles is to gather people under Christ. Right? That's, that's the purpose of the church. To be a certain way so that, that it brings more and more people under Christ. Worshiping God. Right? Following Jesus. That's what we as a body of Christ, as a church, is called to do. We are part of God's plan in doing that. You know, he could have done it himself. God could have just like said, alright, everybody... Gather under my son, Jesus Christ, worship him, not giving us a church. But what? God loves us, right? And in order for God to truly love us, he has to give us what? He has to give us free will. He has to give us a choice. There is no love if there's no choice. You know? If you don't have a choice, you can't, like, 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 say you're a robot. Say Mina was a robot, and I, and I make her as human as I possibly can, and I program in her, you will love me. She has no other choice but to love me. That's not love, right? This is programming. But God, in his infinite love for us, he actually gave us free choice. And in, in that free choice, right, God chooses to use the church to gather people under the sun. So as a church, one of our goals is to grow. To grow numerically, to grow in influence to grow in outreach, to gather people under Christ. And Paul here is giving us the very good guidelines on how to be as a church, how to be a church that is able to grow and, and, and bring people under Christ. I'm not talking about doctrine per se. Doctrine is very important. I'm not talking about a style of worship. I'm not talking about like church government or charismatic or Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist. I'm not talking about like, like you know, like how, like how we worship whether you are able to use a drum or whether you only sing hymns, hymns, sing hymns or like, you know, like, you know, this is my first time preaching on Sunday with flip-flops. It was so hot today. I'm like, I'm not going to put socks on my feet, right? But some places, this is like outrageous. Some places, people think the only way you can preach is with a, with a suit and tie, right? I don't believe that. You know why? Because Jesus didn't have a suit and tie. But he did have sandals, right? But it has, I'm not talking about that, like how, how we are to be like on superficial level of the church, but how we are to be as, as, as at the heart of, our, heart of who we are as a church, not just as individuals, not just as an organization, but individuals that are part of this whole, how are we to be as a church? And Paul gives us five fundamental themes regarding the church that should be represented in every church. It's like a car. There are certain things in a car you have to have in the car to work, right? You don't need headlights for a car, car to work. In high school, I had a car, I had a Toyota pickup truck for almost a year and a half. I drove that car with only one headlight because I hit something and then it broke and I didn't fix it for a year and a half. And the car worked, truck worked fine. I got everywhere. Back then, cops weren't so like uptight. They didn't, they didn't really pull me over. I got eventually got pulled over, right? But like it, it, a car will function fine without without hey it will still go right you don't need like windshield fl wiper fluid right you don't need to go but what do you need you need gas right 
you need you need motor oil. If you don't have motor oil in your car, your car will die, right? You need like like what else do you need? You need like 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 transmission fluid. These are things that your car definitely needs. You need water or radiator fluid in your radiator, or else your car is gonna just blow up. It's gonna get too hot and blow up. These are things that you definitely need in a car for it to actually run. You need a battery. Have you ever lost like your battery ever die on you, right? With, it doesn't matter how nice your car is. It could be like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar like Mercedes, like I don't know, like whatever class that's really expensive, like W class. I don't know for winter. I don't know what Mercedes are, but you're gonna have this. But without a battery, your car is worthless. You're gonna take the bus just like everyone else, right? There are certain things that you need, and then and what what Paul is talking about is there are certain fundamental things that the church needs to to hold hold on to, hold fast to, for us to be the church. And today, we're going to talk about two of those things, and next week, we're going to talk about three. I was going to make like a one long sermon. I was I was beginning to do that, and I realized, oh man, this is going to be a really long sermon. I should just cut it in half. So I actually cut it in half. We're going to talk about two of those fundamental things that we need, and we're going to talk about the rest next week. And, and he's talking about this, not as individuals, but not as an organization, but there's this dichotomy that Paul talks about in the church. The church is individuals that are a part of the whole. Individuals. So there's our personal responsibility in this, right? Because we are individuals in the church, but there's also this, this part of this whole that we need to be the church, right? Like Christ didn't just save you by yourself to be a lone ranger Christian. You think that you can be a good Christian just by yourself. Nobody else knows that you're a Christian. You go to work every day, come back, you read your Bible, you pray to God. You don't go to church. And you think that you can live this life and be a good Christian. The Bible says you can't. Because God saved you into a body. God saved you into a family. The way that God will make you better, the way that God will sanctify you, the way that God will grow you, mature you, right, shape you, and make you like do your purpose, is that God's going to use you inside the body of Christ. That, that is the way that he chooses to grow you and mature and use you. He saved us into a family. And in that family, God's plan to sanctify you and mature you is it's part of this whole. It's a part of this, this collective of the body of Christ, gathering people under Christ. And if you want to invite people to your family, you have to make that experience inviting. If your family is all dysfunctional, fighting, backstabbing, hating one another, right? Like, like you know, like talking crap about one another all the time. You know, you, you meet one member of the family, like, oh, that, my cousin sucks. And all this stuff. Nobody's going to want to be a part of that family. These are things that are not just things that are for ourselves, but things that will affect us in relationship to one another. These are like, you know, who's a who's like who's a good salesman here? Anybody a good salesman? Anybody a good salesman? AJ? In order to be a good salesman, right, you gotta be like a people person, right? You can't be a good salesman and you come in like, hey, I'm look I'm looking for like a, a radio like I'm looking for air conditioning. Do you, do you have air conditioning? It's like, yes. Can I see them? They're over there. You know, you know, like what's good or bad? That one's good. That one sucks. Like, in order for you to be a good, good salesman, you gotta, you gotta have people skills, right? You do. You gotta have people skills to be a good salesman. And Paul is trying to, like, he's saying that, like, he, he, we're gonna read about it, like, in, in a bit. But in order for us to be a, a people that gathers people under the family of God gathers people under Christ to be this family of God. You have to be people person. You gotta be people person. Doesn't mean that you gotta be all sanguine and friendly, like, ah, I know. But you gotta care about people. You love people. You gotta have a desire to see the best in people. And so what's Paul talking about? He's he wants to establish in all the churches out there with this word, like this part of the church that he wants that God wants for his body. And one, it, it says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been 
fault, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with another in love. He's talking about our relation. He's not, these are not just characteristics of us just alone by ourselves. Right? These are things that are tested with other people. Patience is tested with other people. Humility. It's, it's easy to be humble by yourself. But it's hard to be humble when there's other people around. Right? Patience and gentleness. These are things that affect other people. God, this is what the Bible is telling us. It's like, hey, how you present yourself to other people as my family, as my church matters. He says, all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. He's saying we have to have the right attitude. That's my first point. That's my first theme. As a church, we have to have the right attitude. And they say attitude changes everything. Have you ever gone to work with like a sucky attitude? What happens, right? That whole day just sucks. You go, you like. There's times where where I'll come home and I'll be like, huh. and then like Mina's like, you could tell Mina's like, oh something's wrong with Caleb. And then like that, our whole conversation just like just goes off the rails sometimes. That's because of the attitude that we have. But when you when you go to work and like you know that that person comes in and you know the person coming like this, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want anything. That attitude is going to affect how that person works. That attitude is going to affect how they are in relationship to one another. It's going to bring. It's going to affect that morale and the, the atmosphere of, of, of the workplace. In the same way as a church, we have to have the right attitude. These are all things that affect us in relationship to other people. This is how we become people. People persons. Paul describes it here. And the first thing he says is humility. Have to have humility. We have to have humility. Humility is one of the major keys in the kingdom of God. Imagine the kingdom of God of having many doors. Right? Imagine the kingdom of God like being like this huge mansion with all these different rooms, right? And all these different doors. And humility will give you access to many rooms in the mansion. It's one of the most important attitudes to have as a Christian church. Why? What does the Bible say? God opposes the who? The proud. But he gives grace to the who? The humble. I mean, basically saying, like, 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 when we're playing, if this was a sporting competition, it's like, God is like, you know what? I'm going to be on these people's sides, and I'm going to be against you guys. Right? I remember when we were little kids, and we would play dodgeball, right? Everybody, we were all about the same height, same strength. But we had this one guy named Jason Dimacali. And the dude looked like he was 18 years old. This was when we were like in fifth grade. Right? The dude was like a foot taller than everybody. He probably weighed like 180 pounds in fifth grade. And it, it mattered. Whatever team that he was on would win, right? I remember getting hit by one of his dodgeballs. You know those dodgeballs in America? They're like rubber. And they're actually soft, but they hurt crazy when you get beaten by one, right? And he would throw it with so much force that, like, you get hit in the head and you black out for a second. You're like, oh! And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm playing dodgeball, right? Right? And I remember whatever team that he, we would all be like, oh, okay, let's pick teams. And whatever team that Jason DeMacaulier was in would always win, right? And in the same way, God said, you know what? I'm on the, pro- I'm on the side of the humble. I am for the humble. And I'm against if you want to truly be a church that is used by God powerfully, we have to lead with humility. Jesus was humble. He humbled himself. He's the son of God. He had every right. He's the only one that has a right. He's the only one where pride is not a sin. And yet, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself. He took on the form of, of man. He became a baby. You know how helpless a baby is? can't do anything, right? Like, like, you know, like, you know how humiliating it would be? Like, imagine, right, right now, if I, if I, if I poop myself and then my wife had to come here and, like, like, like change my diaper, right? And that'd be humiliating, right? Imagine the same thing. The Son of God had to sit there and get his diaper changed. The Son of God had to grow up and become an adolescent and have pimples on his face. The Son of God, God himself, had to grow up. He humbled himself and, and grew up into a man. And, and, and he, he lived a life 
a righteous life, and he died the death of a criminal. That was humility. Now, humility, people have the wrong idea about humility, but there's a quote by C.S. Lewis where it says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking, like, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm worthless. I can't, I can't do anything. That's not humility, right? That's just, just feeling sorry about yourself. It's just a pity party, right? But it's thinking, not thinking about, like, less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. I've been reading this book by Richard Culkin, and he says, being humble is not being shy. It means restraining our sense of entitlement to be the focus of other people's cares and attention by submitting ourselves to others with respect in order to promote their best interest. I want to say that again. Restraining our sense of entitlement to be the focus of other people's attention. Right? We have to restrain our this entitlement that we have to be the focus of, of other people's attention, of other people's care. And submitting ourselves to others with respect in order to promote their best interest. Jesus didn't think of himself when he hung on that cross. About what he was entitled to, which was everything. He was, Jesus is entitled to everything. He thought about us. He thought about all of the people that were going to be under him as he is glorified. And as a church, we have to be walking in this kind of humility. Humility isn't when someone gives you a compliment and you say, oh, that's nothing. That's called false humility. You know what false humility is? False humility is pride. It's just, like, it's just another form of pride. But it's thinking less, thinking about yourself less. And thinking more about others. It's not self-focused, but it's outward focus on others. That's why I say it as a church. We have to be people person. We have to be people that are focused on other people. Humility. It's one of the hardest traits to develop in our lives. We're going to find out later that we can't develop humility outside of God. We can't be humble outside of Jesus. Number one is humility. Number two, gentleness. Gentleness is not being weak. Sometimes it takes more, some of the greatest strengths to be gentle than, than just be like, be all like controlling and dominant. It actually takes more strength. When, he, when Ezra, right now he's in a, they, they call it the terrible tooth because it really is very terrible. AJ, yeah, he ain't seen nothing yet, right? When he becomes to dude, he's going to be terrible. Ezra right now is in his terrible tooth and he really is. He's cute. He's cute as heck, right? But then he can be terrible at times. There's days where he just goes on and rant. He's like, Rah! he's screaming, he's throwing things, he's doing whatever. Like, Rah! he's like beating up on his brother, just bigger than him, but just like dominating over him. But it actually takes way more strength for me to be gentle with him than just be saying, do it, <laughs> and like just making him do what I want him to do. It actually create yeah, you have to have more strength to be gentle. Gentleness is not weakness. There's another quote by Richard Culkin. It says, gentleness means dealing with other people with kindness instead of roughness, with empathetic compassion rather than demanding force, and with soft encouragement rather than hard bullying. So Matthew 5 is a beatitude. Right? Beatitude is not like a description of all these different traits. It's actually a description of one person. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Meek, which is gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. This is not like all these different characteristics. It's actually the characteristics of one man. It's actually Jesus. And it's this ladder that we have. It starts from being poor in spirit, being broken, right? And moving all the way to the top where, like, people are persecuting you. And they're saying all these lies about you. But, but it's all good. Yours is the kingdom of God. That's Jesus, right? Jesus, he's broken. And at the end, he's able to hang on the cross while all of the sins of man is, is dumped upon him. And one of the major characteristics of Jesus is his meekness, his gentleness. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We have to learn how to be gentle, but not weak. Meek, but not a pushover. Gentle, without compromising. The key to this is identity. We talked about it last week. When you know who you are in Christ, which is the truth, right? Who you are in Christ is truth. You are able to be gentle without being weak. Able to be meek without being a pushover or compromiser. Our attitudes like gentleness comes from us knowing who we are. When, when who we are is in the truth. Truth, this is what the Bible, truth will set you free. Well, if, if the truth is your identity in Christ, you're, you are free to be gentle. You're free to be humble. You're free the things that come out of who you you know who you are in Christ. Let me tell you, the secular world out there have, has an impression of the church, and gentleness is not one of them. Paul is telling us as a church, we have to be walking in gentleness. We have to be meek. We can't force our way. We can't be rough. We have to be gentle, allowing people to, to experience truth and know that they are cared for and they are loved. Number three, it says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. In the Greek, that definition word for patience is called for, it's forbearance, and there's a definition called long-suffering. Right? Slowness in avenging wrong. We as the church, as individuals, have to learn patience. We live in a world that's like fast, 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 right? Like, like Korea especially. We have the fastest internet. Sometimes I get, when I have to do like, when I go under some kind of Wi-Fi and it like gets slowed down and I click on the thing and it takes a while for my page to load, I'd be like, ah! You know, like, what's going on? Like, we, we have rocket delivery coupon comes literally, if I order it at 11 o'clock at night, it comes sometimes 11 o'clock in the morning, right? That's awesome. And then when, when it doesn't come, happened the other day. It didn't come when it was supposed to. I was like, oh, how dare they, right? Like we have instant food. We're like, we go to McDonald's and we get like a meal instantly. Instant communication. People all around. My mom, I can text my mom if she gets the image. I text a picture of the kids. They get it. Like we live in this instant, 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 instant world. Everything is so now, now, now. It's very different from what Paul is describing. It takes, he's talking about long suffering, being patient, how God is patient with us. God is long suffering with us. He takes us on a process. Once we know him, we are on a process, a long one, where we still mess up in sin and we do all these stupid things, but on a process that will sanctify us down the road. Eventually, we will be more like God is patient with us. Last week after praise practice, I went to McDonald's. I was supposed to get Tiffany and Molly like McDonald's. I had my little scooter back there. I took my little scooter. I usually don't lead praise events, but I came here at 1030 to help do praise practice and I was a little hungry. So I, I rode my little scooter to McDonald's. And you know in Korea you have those McDonald's where you know you, you push the little thing and it comes out. You don't even have to talk to anybody. I, I tried it, it didn't work. I went to the other one, and it was somebody was using it. So I went, actually went to the counter, and I was like, uh, I would like to order. And then she's like, oh, how may I help you? And this young lady is taking my order. And I told her, like, can I get three quarter pounder meals, uh, one with Coke and two with Diet Coke? And can I get a Happy Meal? Blah, blah, blah. And then, she, and then she, looked, she looked at her thing. She was pushing buttons. And she said, quarter, pound, quarter pounder? <laughs> and I was like, and I said it again. Can I get three quarter pounder meals? One with, two, one with Coke and two with uh, Coke Zero, and then can I get uh, two Happy Meals and a cheeseburger set and the four McNuggets? Set it. I said it to her again, and she's like, uh, quarter pounder meal. And it literally took her, I'm telling you, almost 15 minutes to put our order through when other people that came like way before me were using the little machine and they'd already getting their food. And I was like about to just like, ah, oh. but then I looked at her t shirt. Her t-shirt was a different color than everyone else, right? Everyone else had these pink t-shirts, but she had this, like, teal t-shirt. And then on the tag, it said, trainee. And I was like, 
Oh my goodness, right? And then like I left, I left at like 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 10:45, and then swim. Like I left at like 11:45, and Sunday swim starts at 12:30. I got there at 12, and I'm here at 12, almost 12:15, still ordering. And then at the end, she was like, "Nugget sauce, what was you like?" And I was like, "But, but you know what God told me at that moment? He was like, you know what? Patience is an opportunity for you to love. Patience is a demonstration of love. Paul talks about it here: bearing with one another in love. Bearing." with one another in love. This is the, I get like mad convicted when I hear this, right? Uh, there are times where I'm not a very patient man. But patience is, is an opportunity for us to choose love. I talked about it a few weeks ago, but love isn't a feeling. You think If you think love is a feeling, you got it mixed up with like romantic love, right? You can feel a lot of this. You can feel romantic love for like an image on a TV, on a movie, like or a TV screen. Like, oh, Mina would watch something. Mina, she always said like, "Oh, I really like Matthew McConaughey, right?" And like she, she's like, "Oh, I like Matthew McConaughey, right?" You can, you can fe- have feelings for things and people, right? But the true love isn't a feeling, because if true love was a feeling, Jesus would have just sat up in heaven and been like, "Oh, I have, I have this feeling towards all of these mankind that are going to hell." He sits up in heaven and does nothing. But no, true love is action. He fell out of this, he fell out of heaven, came to earth, and he died on the cross. And 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 the and patience and bearing with one another is an opportunity for us to to actually walk out love, demonstrate love. If someone you are leading or shepherding isn't getting it. You, they've been in part of your community group for years, and they're still dealing with the same issue. You have a coworker that works your last nerve. Every word out of their mouth is like, like nails on the chalkboard. Have you ever had one of those people? I've had one. I'd be like, every day this person's there, I'd be like, oh, why are you in my classroom? <laughs> I used to teach English for like years. No, like, like, we're, like, like there's people that are around you that are mad awkward. They're always saying the wrong thing, or there are some people that ask way too much of you. And one thing I'm not telling you to do is be a doormat, right? If someone is really mean to you or offensive or actually hurting you, talking behind your back, there's things there's, you have to confront people. You have to confront people. You have to you have to create boundaries. These are all healthy things. I'm gonna do a sermon one day on boundaries, right? We have to be able to set boundaries so that you know we don't we don't allow these boundaries to be crossed. But that's very different. Because even in those confrontations, we need to do it in love. We need to do it in gentleness. That's where the wisdom of God comes in. There's a quote that says, we have to know when to, to turn the other chick and flip over pig. We've got to learn to know when to turn the other cheek or flip over pig. You know, Jesus did both. He turned the other cheek. He also flipped over things. We have to know when certain things like about God are being misaligned or when certain things are happening where you, know, you have to know when to flip over things. Jesus flipped over things. He took a whip. He's like, you know, my house shall be a house of prayer. You know what? But then, but then he also taught us, and this is our daily life. Turn the other cheek. In our daily Christian walk and also in the way that the church sees people, we need patience. Dealing with character issues of other people. You know what God is saying? Be patient with them. Stop being annoyed with them. Bear with them in love. Stop being so short with them. Give them some slack. Allow people to make their mistakes and hope for the best in them. This is patience. This is bearing with one another in love. It's demonstrating love. And let me tell you, it's not easy. Who thinks patience is easy? Anybody in here thinks patience is easy? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. The only way that patience is easy is if you're like 90 years old and you just you just can't be bothered anymore. Patience is hard, man. That's one of the hardest things that I've, I've, I've even in marriage and having kids, I realize having patience is one of the hardest things 
that I ever will possibly do. It's not easy. Character is not easy. But God's calling us as a church. We need to walk in this. Because why? We're, we're trying to create an environment, an atmosphere where we represent God correctly. And we're actually gathering people under Jesus. We're saying, come on, everybody, gather with us. Let's join in on this family and let's worship Jesus together. In order for us to have it, we need to create an atmosphere where people want to be around us. Right? Imagine how, like, like, imagine how you would want to be treated. Imagine how, like, when somebody welcomed you into their home and they welcome you and you're like, this is my house. I am the owner of this house. I own everything in this house. Right? This is not your house. Please act accordingly. Right? Do not break anything. Do not touch anything. Right? If you eat anything and you spill it, I guarantee you, you will be kicked out of this house. Where's the bathroom? You can't use the bathroom. This is my house, right? Would you want to step foot into that house? You'd be like, oh, yeah. would you like feel comfortable in that house, right? Or would you like to be chill? Where you go into a home, you're like, oh, come in. Make yourself at home. Can I get you anything? Is there anything that you need? Oh, you want a glass of water? Oh, I'll get it for you. If there's anything you need, let me let me get it for you. Right? Oh, the bathroom. The bathroom is over there. Oh, you clogged the toilet. That's all right. It happens, man. I'll just, you know what? While you go sit and rest, let me. I'll just go and unclog that toilet for you. My my mi casa es su casa. I'm just saying. This is Spanish, right? My house is your house. You have to understand. That's the kind of. That's what Paul's talking about here, right? Creating an atmosphere where people would want to actually step under and be with each other under Jesus Christ. You know, because when you point people correctly to Jesus Christ, Jesus does most of the work. What actually is the hindrance is relationship with other people. I talked about the quote by Gandhi. He said, you know what? I really like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Because they don't. He, they, your Christians don't really act like We are gathering people under Christ. Paul is saying we have to be people persons. Not superficially, like, you know, being all friendly and saying, yeah, we have to be friendly and kind. But deeply, in the way that we see people, in the way we value people, in the way we, we, we are humble ourselves and we lift other people up. I'm going to talk about next week about ministry. And, like, we, I went to this, this conference recently, and it actually flipped over my mind on how actual ministry is supposed. I was actually going to preach all of this, and I said, oh, man, it's going to be a long sermon. But humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other in love is not easy to be like this. But you see, it's not something that comes from ourselves. But it comes from our identity, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing who you are in Jesus. is a true source of humility. When you know that Jesus did everything for you, that everything that you have to inherit eternally was done by Jesus. You're able to humble yourself. You're able to be patient, bearing with each other in love, being uncomfortable. Paul was a very uncomfortable, he lived a very uncomfortable life. But when you read his writing, he's one of the happiest people I know. He is so happy. He's so joyous. He's like, ah, I, I'm joyous in this persecution. I, I have joy in this suffering. I rejoice in this suffering. Because he knew who he was in Christ. Because the source of that love that we're supposed to give away to other people isn't our love. It's actually the love of God that we are experiencing. That's the right attitude. It comes from what God has done for us in him. Paul points to the right attitude. This is what the church needs to be like. And, the, and, and he goes on. He says, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. There is one... There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The right attitude that we are to have in the church leads us to what? Unity. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. 
Paul is pointing out the importance of unity in the church. There is a unity that comes through the Holy Spirit. We're all gathered together like this, united under the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a unity that comes by the power of the Spirit. There is one body, one spirit. We are one body and we are all being led by the same spirit of God. He is expressing the importance of unity. He is pointing out all of the things that make us one. One spirit. We are called to the same hope, the same calling. We all serve in one Lord. We all have the one faith. We are all baptized into the one same baptism. We all have the same God, the Father, who is over all through all, in all. He is pointing out that we are more in common than we are different. God is all about unity. I talked about it a few weeks ago, but Jesus prays right before he goes to the cross in John 17. He's like, Lord, make them one as you and you and me are one. He wants the church to be united as one. The unity that we see, this is a unity that God wants to see in each individual church here in Pinkhouse. There needs to be unity here. We want us to be united as one. But there's also a church, there's a unity that we have to find in all of the churches. The church, the universal church, the bride of Christ, the church that Jesus Christ is going to come back and marry and, and bring into the kingdom of God. That church needs to be united. It means we have to stop picking out all the things that make us different and start to look at the things that we have in common. And this is what Paul's pointing out here. We have one God. You have one Lord. You have one baptism. You have one spirit, one faith. You're all the same in these aspects. Bearing with one another in law. Paul's describing an atmosphere where people who feel invited and not condemned, cared for and not used, led in and not pushed in. It comes from being united. Showing unity. These words of Paul are very important. And we really want us to hold fast to this truth as a church. With all humility, being humble, in all circumstances, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, being accommodating and gracious, being united, being led all by the Spirit of God. should be that no matter what church you go to, whether you're in America or, 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 or India or we went to a church in Mozambique this year. And it was, it was the same. It was the same spirit. The same Holy Spirit. The same God that they were praising. They did it in a different language. They had a different style. There was a lot of butt shaking going on. They were all like, all shaking and they're all dancing. And I was like, we don't do this in our church. You know what? It was the same Holy Spirit. Same God, same Word of God. We need to be united. Next week, we're going to be talking about ministry and maturity in the church. But we have to start with this firm understanding of what attitude we all do all of this in, in what spirit and what mindset that we do all of this ministry in. Now, here's a tip that Paul gives us in Colossians 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's saying set your minds on things above. He's saying set your mind on eternal things. We need to learn how to, to have a, know that we are eternal beings. And that life is more than life that we live on this world, but is a part of an eternity. And so we have to see things with an eternal perspective. That doesn't mean that you neglect the things of this world now, but seeing the things of this world in light of eternity. And when you have this eternal perspective, things that happen in our lives don't hit us as hard. Things that we see, we see things differently. Things of this world seem to matter less. Let's be a church that is focused on things above. Let's be a church that's focused on eternal things. You know what, what's eternal? You know the only thing that is eternal in this church? 